Welcome to On Air, the CFM podcast. For over 50 years, CFM Distributors has been your leading HVACR wholesale distributor in the Midwest. In this HVACR podcast, you'll hear from employee owners of CFM Distributors who will provide you with stories, experiences, resources, and ideas to better your business. You can find more information and episodes on our website at cfmdistributors.com or email us at info at cfmkc.com. Hey guys, this is Will with CFM Distributors Technical Service Department. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the future of refrigerants with the classifications of what refrigerants uh, those are, as well as flammable refrigerants. We're going to be uh, discussing that real briefly, and also we're going to be talking about um, airflow configurations for unitary ducted products. Uh, looking forward to having you guys on the podcast. Thank you. Hey, this is Brad with CFM, um, Vice President of Applied Systems Group and Commercial Equipment Sales. So we're excited to, to cover this content with you guys today and sit back and buckle up. Let's get ready to go. Hey, Brad, how you doing? Awesome. How are you doing? Doing good. Uh, I wanted to talk uh, just real briefly about a, uh, about a class that we have going on called the Future of Refrigerants. Um, it's been kind of a controversial topic with our industry talking about refrigerants and where our industry is going to move forward with refrigerants. And so that's a change that is definitely coming with our industry. Um, how's, it's, how's the training going so far? We've had one class in the Kansas City location, um, had about 25 or 30 people in attendance on that class. Training went awesome the first time, got a lot of really great reviews. Um, a lot of people said that they had uh, received a lot of information they had questions to in regards to flammable refrigerants. Uh, that is the future of our industry when it comes to meeting uh, DOE regulations. What's one of the biggest takeaways that you think they've had or one of the most interesting things that you've learned kind of diving into this and learning all that you can about what's coming up and, and the different, you know, A2L listings and, and everything that we've been teaching. What are some things that you're thinking about that could be valuable for our listeners to hear? Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Brad. So one of the things that was most interesting to me is the different severities of flammability when it comes to refrigerants. Um, so there's class of refrigerants, like for example, Fortinet is an A1 refrigerant. The first letter uh, it signifies the toxicity of the refrigerant. So for example, A would be a less toxicity than a B refrigerant. Mm -hmm. And then you have classifications of flammability, which would be 1, 2, 2L, and uh, 3. So 1A is low toxicity, low flammability, and an A2 or an A2L is still low toxicity but a higher flammability. The so biggest- what's, like, what's Fortinet? A1. A1, yeah. Okay. And so the biggest thing that I took away with the flammable refrigerants was that an A2L is a flammable refrigerant with an ignition source. However, it's a self-extinguishing refrigerant. So once you take away the ignition source, the flame self-extinguishes. So they are flammable uh, in classification. However, uh, they are self-extinguishing. So they're not explosive like you would think from a propane or a butane standpoint. And then what... One of the things that, that we've been trying to track, and I haven't done a great job of it, is what what refrigerants are going to be kind of the main players. So once Fortinet begins its phase out, which I don't know if we have an exact date for that, I don't think we do. But what what are you know? There's been some some refrigerants being thrown around. I think Daikin might be looking at um, R32, and then I can't remember if if another brand is looking at a different you know refrigerant or what JCI is doing. If, has anyone made like an official announcement that these are the, the refrigerants that are going to be the main go-to refrigerants for rooftops, chillers, splits, et cetera? Sure. Uh, so the main the main players, what I see for the next phase, which would be 2022, 2023, uh, would probably be R32, 
which is patented and produced by Daikin Global, and then R54B, 454B, and R452B, which are uh, our carrier. So Daikin has released that they are going to be producing and probably moving forward with R32 refrigerants uh, for the first initial phase down in 2022 or 2023. Probably January 1st, 2023 is what it's looking like at this point. And then uh, Carrier, I believe, has made a, a statement saying that they are probably going to move forward with either 454B or 452B. And are those all blends? Those are all blends, blends. yes. I think they all have R410A as a component, don't they? Or R32 has, or R410 has R32 as a oh, component. Sorry. So R32 is uh, is a refrigerant by its right as a blend. So in 4, yeah, exactly. In 410A, R32 is 50% of 410A. So there's already 50% of R32 in 410A. So R32 by itself is a flammable refrigerant. It's an A2 or an A2L. Um, however, the other component, the other 50% makeup of the 410A blend creates it to be a, reduces, reduces it, dilutes it perhaps to help it be a non-flammable refrigerant. Yeah, cool. Well, I know, Will, one of the other things you want to talk today about, and I want to join in on this, was uh, different airflow configurations for rooftops, split systems, chillers. There's there's a number of different ways to select, design, order, um, and set up, you know, airflow configurations. I think that there's four of them. Um, and we'd love to kind of dive into that and kind of see what's on your mind. Yeah, that's a, that's, this is gonna be a great topic. We get a lot of calls, a lot of questions about this. Uh, and this is something we need to know and we need to work with uh, throughout the uh, design process and the quoting process, as well as uh, how you expect for it to operate whenever we arrive for startup and commissioning or initial installation. We need to know uh, beforehand and out that time how you want to fine-tune that mode of operation for uh, airflow configuration. Uh, so Brad is our commercial service, uh, sorry, I'm the commercial service manager and uh, Brad yeah, is vice- I don't want to be out there. I'm not <laughs> you don't want me out there, that's for sure. So, and, and Brad, what's your title? Uh, vice President of Commercial and Applied Equipment Sales. So can you tell me first, starting out at the quoting and, uh, and design portion of this, what are some questions that you ask originally to, to find out how your customer needs this equipment to operate? Yep, so, so first of all, there's really four different airflow modes that, uh, that we see out in, in, in the field or the marketplace. And you've got obviously constant volume CV, where the unit, when it gets a call for fan or cooling or heat or whatever, it just bangs on 100%. Kind of like a light switch. Kind of like the light switch. It's either all on or all nothing. And we'll talk more about that, but it's not healthy for the belts and the shivs and the fan and, and the whole the whole system because it's literally going from zero to 100 miles an hour right away. But we'll, we'll talk about that in more depth. So you've got constant volume, and then you've got... Uh, most manufacturers have their own verbiage for it. York calls it IntelliSpeed. I think some might call it fixed variable, which essentially that is staged airflow. So if you've got a two-stage unit and the first stage is calling, you know, if, if your first stage of cooling being called, then your fan is going to run at typically around 50-60% depending on how you want to set it up. But that percentage is adjustable and that's achieved by adding a VFD under that unit. That's a very that's actually a very common setup, which we'll talk about in more in depth. And you've got single zone VAV, which is not used very often. And, and part of the reason is because you can't, um, at this point, in, in most cases, use a regular thermostat. It actually has to have a space sensor communicating the temperature up to the unit. And what, what single zone VAV does, kind of a hybrid of VAV, which we'll talk about in a second, and IntelliSpeed, where it's at, the unit is actually monitoring 
the space temperature and it's monitoring the discharge temperature and it's going to modulate the speed of the fan based off of the space temperature and then it's going to cycle the compressors based off of discharge temperature. So it's going to try to maintain 55 and it's going to try to ma maintain 55 supplier and it's going to try to maintain let's just say 72 in the space. In the summertime, if, if the space temperature starts to warm up a little bit, it's going to speed up the airflow. And then as you speed up the airflow, obviously now your discharge temperature starts to rise. And once it gets above a certain adjustable limit, then all of a sudden it'll bring on a compressor. And it, it kind of essentially is a mix between IntelliSpeed and, and VAV. And then of course the last one is VAV, variable air volume. And that's sort of like a complete on its own air distribution system where you've got VAV boxes and your unit is essentially the, the job of the, we'll just call it a rooftop or air handler, is to literally just provide cold air at, again, typically 55 degrees all year round. And then you've got VAV boxes in the space, usually in a drop ceiling, and they, they'll have some type of heat, electric heat or hot water heat. And if one, you know, the, one of the benefits of VAV is you can be running cooling and one room and then the other room can take that cold air and heat it up in that VAV box. So those are the four styles of airflow and when, when we work on a job you know in a lot of cases you know some simple questions VAV is if it's a VAV job it's VAV that one's pretty cut and dry. If you've got VAV boxes if you want simultaneous heating and cooling you kind of almost have to go VAV if there's not a whole lot of discussions. But then the other three you know constant volume is the least efficient it's the most it, it puts the most stress on the components so we don't absolutely love that option but we understand upfront cost is a major component and then my favorite is probably kind of in the middle is IntelliSpeed um, single zone VAV is great but my challenge of the course is you have to use a space sensor in most cases and in a lot of applications there's you know a regular thermostat in space and owners like to just be able to walk up to the unit and make a change. Um, so IntelliSpeed is just super simple. On a first stage of, of uh, cooling call, you run at 50%, and then the full unit comes on, you run at 100. So every job's different, but... So um, the, the big difference between constant volume and IntelliSpeed, the big, the big difference between that as far as components and the equipment go is a VFD, is that right. correct? Yep. And so in our industry, we have a ton of acronyms. We've already talked about, v, 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 uh, uh, we've already talked about VAV, we've talked about uh, VAV boxes, we've talked about CV, constant volume, but now we're talking about a VFD, which is a variable frequency drive. Yep. So that essentially takes in uh, a, either a single phase or a three phase power, and then it uh, takes that, that power, it changes it from AC voltage to DC voltage, rectifies that voltage, and then sends that out to the motor right. as a, uh, as a uh, and it modifies the sine waves in order to either speed the motor up or slow the motor down. Here in US, we have, the, we have a 60 hertz power system, and so typically uh, most constant volume motors are being supplied with 60 hertz of power. Like you said, a light switch either on or off. Yep. But with the VAV, we're able to either ramp that up past 60 a certain percentage or run it down to, you know, 20, 30 percent sometimes. Uh, so we have a lot more, a lot more room uh, and, and a lot more variance with our with our motor speed, which could add benefits such as dehumidif dehumidification, better dehumidification, um, tighter tolerances between return and supplier temperatures. Uh, obviously, we have a lower starting amp draw on our motor. 
so opposed to as a constant volume where you hear a belt squeal and squeak and the motor just comes on and runs to full full blast we're able to do a soft start feature on that motor to decrease our peak amp draw on that motor whether it be a 5 or a 10 horsepower motor so that'll decrease our our, our amp draw and uh, i do believe that some commercial buildings are charged for power consumption based off their peak amp draw mm -hmm. so a lot of times not just on blower motors we'll see vav uh, or uh, VFDs installed on motors, but we'll see them installed on pumps and all kinds of other devices in order to help decrease that peak amp draw uh, because a lot of times power companies will charge commercially based off the peak amp draw. Is that is yep. that kind of how you yep. understand it? Mm -hmm. well, so, well, one of the questions that I had, uh, just curious, I mean, up until, you know, the mid 2000 teens, we didn't see VFDs really on a lot of rooftops. Almost everything, besides VAV, obviously, obviously VFDs have, been, have become um, ubiquitous on VAV applications. It used to be inlet guide vanes and then VFDs. But on a standard, regular 10, 15, 20, 30 ton rooftop or split system, uh, we didn't typically see VFDs. So we've got a lot of you know contractors in our market that may not be that familiar with them and a lot of equipment now to meet the new Department of Energy minimum efficiency standards makes more sense for the manufacturer to build that unit with the VFD than it does to use higher efficiency compressors and such. So one of the questions I had was for a contractor that may not be that familiar with VFDs, when, when they go to start it up, what are one or two things that you get the most service calls on with VFDs that they're in the field, they're struggling, that might be an easy fix, but they just haven't learned or haven't been educated on that VFD, whether it's starting up the speeds or whether it's just getting the, the VFD to enable the fan or what are some tips you might have? Right. Um, so typically the way that we, we primarily deal with York package units and typically uh, York will uh, pre-configure uh, through their SSE Simplicity Smart Equipment Control Board, they will pre-configure uh, all of the staging set points for the motors, uh, whether that be, like you said, 60 or 70 percent on a cooling stage one, we're talking about a two-stage unit, mm -hmm. maybe the VFD runs at 60 or 70 percent on a, on a cooling stage one, and then it ramps up to 100 percent on cooling stage two, but then if you only have a G call, it might run at 50 percent or half speed, uh, and obviously a soft start and a slow stop on, uh, on that VFD as well. Uh, so a lot of that is pre-configured. Now, I think that exposure of VFDs is probably the number one issue with with uh, or the perception of VFDs right now is just lack of exposure because they are somewhat new to the marketplace and, and people are a little bit intimidated because of lack of exposure. Uh, so the number one fault code that we receive in technical support, I would say in regards to VFDs, is whenever someone is to open up the return air compartment or the blower motor compartment when the motor is running at full speed. Well, when we open up a door, uh, we allow more air to enter into that into the squirrel cage, reduce and that will pressure. that'll reduce the static pressure, which will increase the amp draw because now the motor has to do more work. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lockout inside that inside that VFD, and if we're already running close to that to that lockout parameter, that set point, and we open up that door, we're going to increase the amp draw, and if mm -hmm. that if that amp draw is exceeded for a certain amount of time, it's going to lock the system out. Okay. So when the VFD experiences a fault code on it, that remember that VFD has capacitors in it and it takes a little while for them to dissipate. And the way I explain that to people is kind of like your laptop charger. If you unplug it from the wall, it's got capacitors in that laptop, uh, that laptop charger and it's going to take, you know, 15, 20 seconds for that light to finally go out. Mm -hmm. So the same thing is true for a VFD on a, on a unit. 
So if you go over there to your disconnect and it locks out and you shut your disconnect off for five or 10 seconds, those capacitors might not dissipate. Until your screen on your VFD goes blank, you're not gonna reset any of those fault codes. You're not going to truly do a power cycle on that system. So that's something we run across quite a bit. Uh, the other thing is, is how to check amp draw accurately uh, on a variable frequency drive. And so checking it at the fuses in the high voltage electrical compartment is getting, uh, it is not a true uh, motor amp draw reading because you're getting it prior to the VFD. And so in order to get a true amp draw for a motor that's operating on a variable frequency drive, you must get after the variable frequency drive and before the motor, you must get that amp draw on one of those three wires because essentially it's a three phase motor. Uh, and so you have to get that with the door closed. You can also get it from a remote display. The, the display can be unplugged from the variable frequency drive and you can remove it external to the equipment. So if you want to get an accurate amp draw, you can use a Wi-Fi meter or you can use the min-max feature on your meter. And if, for example, let's say that the motor is running at 60 hertz. You know that your amp draw is going to be higher whenever you open up the door and you put your meter on your, on your L1 lead. So you set your meter to minimum you'd click it, clip it onto one of your L1 leads going to your motor, and then you would shut the door for five or 10 seconds, open the door back up, and then the minimum amp draw displayed on your meter would have been your accurate amp draw. So those are kind of the mis misconceptions of VFDs and, and kind of the, uh, the things that I get calls on quite a bit. So checking amp draw, and, uh, and then also just knowing how to clear fault codes and, and understanding how the VFD works. There's lots of parameters, but do remember that typically it's, it, there's not much to set up on, on startup. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's typically pre-configured. Cool. Well, I think that's all I had on my mind. Is there anything else you want to cover, Will? No, uh, just uh, to reiterate, uh, constant volume, CV, uh, is on-off, um, IntelliSpeed, or uh, fixed variable is for uh, multi-stage operation with a variable frequency drive that doesn't require extra components. And then I, there's one more thing I want to touch on, VAV. Uh, with variable air volume, it does require something known as a duct pressure transducer. And the duct pressure transducer is a zero to five volt DC transducer that is pre-ranged for zero to five inches of water column. So typically uh, contractors and building owners are looking to maintain a supply duct static pressure of between one inch and one and a half inches of water column. So that VFD is going to ramp up and down and modulate in order to maintain that static. And that static is gonna change as your, as your VAV boxes open and close. Yep. So if all the boxes are open, your motor might have to run quicker in order to maintain that static pressure in your supply duct. Now, as a referencing tube from your supply air duct pressure transducer, you have to run a quarter inch pneumatic pitot tube or pneumatic tubing down the supply trunk line. And you wanna run that down about two thirds of the way down the main trunk line and then terminate it into the supply duct into the main trunk line about two thirds of the way down. You wanna take the negative side of that transducer and you wanna re reference outside air. So sometimes when we close the door on an electrical compartment, it can become a negative compartment at that time. So we wanna be sure to take the negative side of that tube uh, off of that transducer because it has two ports on it, a positive and a negative. Wanna take that negative side and terminate it outside of the electrical compartment. Uh, those, are, those are a couple other things that I typically get questions on or, or asked. Yeah, that's no, good, man. Well, I think it was good. I think it was fun, and I know that there's a lot of confusion, as you mentioned earlier, with with all the different acronyms: CV, VAV, maybe fixed variable. You could see as an FXV or something, and, and VFDs and changeover bypass VVT. It's, it, can get, yeah. it can get kind of confusing. So, hopefully, this was valuable. And uh, if you have any questions, 
Uh, you can reach out to me. Again, this is Brad. Um, you can email me at v.telker at cfmkc.com or you can call my cell phone, 913-980-3454 and then Will, how can they get hold of you? Yeah, Will here, Will Grauberger, CFM Distributors. Uh, reach out to me at willg, W-I-L-L-G, at cfmkc.com with any questions, comments uh, pertaining to training or just anything regarding the podcast or technical. Uh, if I can't help you, I definitely can get you in contact with who can. Cool. Thanks, Brad. Thank you for listening today. You can tune in each Friday right here for new episodes. If you'd like more information, visit CFM's website at cfmdistributors.com or email us at info at cfmkc.com.